I'm humbled at the opportunity once again to be able to minister to you. I'm thankful uh, that Pastor has a trust in me that uh, he allows me to to have the pulpit. That's a it's a very um, important thing for a pastor to um, choose wisely who he allows in his pulpit, and I I'm thankful that he has trust in me. Uh, to allow me to minister the word of God. And I'm thankful that God has the same trust in me. That he will allow me to speak to you today. If you will turn with me to the book of Luke. Chapter number 12. <coughs> Spent... Uh, most of this weekend down in Hot Springs. We have a coaching clinic that we go to every year. And uh, so I spent most of my time down there this weekend listening to other coaches and uh, hopefully learning a few things that may, uh, may make me a better coach and a uh, better man. And so uh, pastor called me yesterday about noon and asked if I would minister today. And so I came home a little bit early and... Uh, Started praying and tried to uh, get what the Holy Spirit wanted from me for me today, for you today. Uh, I struggled a little bit, uh, struggled a while to to uh, get what the Lord wanted me to. So I hope that you will pray with me uh, this morning, pray for me this morning, that I can minister what God would have me to minister. I want to give you a little bit of background on the scripture here. We're going to start in verse 13. Now Jesus here. Speaking to a large crowd, he begins chapter 12, speaking to a large crowd. The Bible says that it was many thousands, one translation says innumerable amount of people. The Bible said it was so many people that they were trampling on each other. It's a big crowd. So he begins to speak out, and he speaks first against the Pharisees, and then he speaks about our great value, the great value that we have to God and, the un, and on the importance of standing for Him and not being fearful of those around us and what man can do and how they can harm you, but the importance of standing without fear for Him. So in the midst of this teaching, there's a man that stands up and he interrupts Jesus. To ask him a question, and that is where we're going to pick up the reading today in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. If you'll stand one more time this morning. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge? Or an arbitrator over you. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them. Saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns. And build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have made, you have many goods laid up for you many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. 
But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Brother Foster, would you pray over this message this morning? As you're being seated, if you will, shake your neighbor's hand. I want you to ask them this question. This is what we want to consider today. Are you, <clears throat> are you a success? Are you a success? question that we all ask ourselves, I think, at times in our lives. But in the story here, we have a man that stands up and he asks a financial question. Right? He wants Jesus to take his side in this financial matter. It appears that his father had passed away. And in the law of that time, according to some research that I've done, when a father dies, the elderly brother is given two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger brother receives a third of the inheritance. So he wanted Jesus to take his side in this financial matter, to get what it is he thought he deserved. But it's clear that what Jesus was teaching about, the need for full commitment in our lives, and what is really of value to us, didn't penetrate this man's heart. He didn't catch that part of it. I wonder how many times we read the Bible or listen to preaching and don't catch what God wants us to catch. That's not what I'm preaching about this morning, but it's true. To see, this man was living with an attitude that his value in life existed in the things that he possessed. If he could just have what was rightfully his he thought now he would be more valuable that's where he found his success in the things that he possessed but Jesus refutes this and he tells a parable a story to explain this and in the parable you have this man who's extremely successful he's rich he has extremely successful harvest which there's nothing wrong with There's no doubt that he'd worked hard. Right? He planted, he tilled, he weeded the gardens, he worked hard for this crop. There's no doubt. He was blessed. So much so that he had nowhere to put all of his harvest. He had nowhere to store up all the things that he had harvested, so he made a plan. He's going to build some bigger barns so that he can uh, store all of his harvest, some bigger I should have counseled with Tiffany because she's the FFA girl or Tiffany's niece. 
She's the, they're the FFA people. And what are they, silos, right? They're grain elevators, things. Right? He built bigger things so he could put all of his blessings in. He made plans. He stored it up, the Bible says, for himself. Then he decided, well, I'm just going to now kick back for a while. I've got enough to last me. I'm going to eat and get fat and happy. I'm going to drink and I'm going to be merry. He's going to relax. But then God calls him a fool. See, God didn't call him a fool because he was rich. Or that he worked hard and had such a great harvest. God called him a fool because of where he placed his value. His success for him was in his riches. And what he had. All of those worldly accomplishments and riches though. Instantly became nothing. Because he's going to die that same night. He placed his value in earthly things instead of the things above. So as we consider that question this morning, are you a success? I want to bear that in mind. And you know, today is an important day in the football universe, right? It's the Super Bowl. Right? We have two teams, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, they've worked hard and they've made it to the verge of what they call success. See, their goal is to win the Super Bowl, right? Unfortunately, the Dolphins didn't meet that goal this year. It's okay, neither did the Cowboys, the Cardinals didn't either. So most of us here and here are in the same boat, except maybe Brother Roger and Brother Logan. I think they're Chiefs fans. But for them, the ultimate achievement, the ultimate success for them is in winning this game today, the Super Bowl. (coughs) Looked up a few facts about the Super Bowl. Now, one of my things that I would really love to do in my lifetime is go to the Super Bowl. Now, if we were in 1967, I could probably go. Because in 1967, that's the first Super Bowl, ticket would cost you $12. Well, I looked it up last night, and the nosebleeds were like $6,000. So uh, I'm not, not sure that I'll ever be able to go to it. Did you know that nine of the top ten most watched programs in the history of television are Super Bowls? The other one? The finale of MASH. Never seen it. Who knew? And that was actually number one until, 19, or in, until 2015, I believe, until the Super Bowl took the number one spot. And so, uh, did you know that today is the second biggest day for Americans for eating? People eat more today than any other day except for Thanksgiving, it is said. Anybody's planning on chicken wings or... Anything tonight? I need to invite myself over to anybody's house. You know, a 30-second ad. If you want to take out an ad for the Super Bowl tonight, $7 million for a 30-second ad. Mm. 
But the Chiefs of the 49ers, they're trying to win, right? And that is going to be the ultimate pinnacle of success in their season. That's how they measure success. Another one that we have coming up later this year, one of my favorite times, is the Olympics. I love watching the Olympics. And you have thousands and thousands of athletes who will find their success if they can just get on the podium. Right? If they can just win a gold medal, that will be the ultimate success for them. But you know, these successes, these achievements, that feeling is only very shortly lived. It takes a few seconds for you to get over it, and then you feel a little bit empty. Why? Because that's not true success, I would assert to you. There's a really interesting uh, speech by a valedictorian. Peyton, do you have the video? I want you to listen to about a minute and a half of this speech where he talks about becoming valedictorian. Maybe we'll have sound. I stand before you tonight as the 2019 valedictorian. This time last year, I found out that I was in the running for this title. It was then that I decided I wanted it. So, I worked hard for it. I sacrificed for it. And yes, I stressed for it. And I got it. And at our senior award ceremony, it felt so good when I heard my name announced with this title. That's so good. For about 15 seconds, yeah, 15 seconds of my heart racing and my adrenaline pumping. 15 seconds of, yeah, I won! 15 seconds of being at the top of the pile of all my accomplishments, and it felt euphoric. But there must come a 16th second. And on that 16th second, I sat down on my seat, I looked at my silver stole that says valedictorian, and I thought, that's it? <laughs> what just happened? Why, why am I not feeling anything else? Uh, to be honest, I don't even know what I was expecting. A parade of balloons to drop? Or, or maybe I was hoping that all of my problems would fade away in comparison to this amazing achievement. But none of that happened. Not even in my heart. I felt nothing. So he learned a valuable lesson and where we find our success and what <clears throat> true success is. You know, this weekend I told you I was at that coaching clinic and there's coaches from all over that come and talk to you. And, and one of the coaches was a guy named Coach Simmons. Well, coach Simmons is the head coach at Harding University. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. He's, he's been at Harding University for 17 years. He's been the head coach the last five years. And this year... He went 15-0, and 0, and he won the national championship in Division II. Didn't know Arkansas had a national champion football team, did you? And so you would assume that he is going to stand up there and talk about how successful he was and because they won the national championship. But as he began to talk, he said that they define success differently. See, they don't worry about wins and losses. That's not how they measure their success. Now, 
as a coach, as the defensive coordinator at Clinton, I always have goals. Like, I want to get two turnovers a game. We call them takeaways, not turnovers. We want to take the ball away two times. We want to miss seven or fewer tackles. Right? Our number one goal is we want to win the game. Right? And we mark off those goals, and then if they're all marked off, really, if the win the game is marked off, I call it a success. Right? Yes, even when we won, I think it was 50 to 55, where the defense didn't stop the offense just one time, I did consider it still a success, though, though there's probably some that did not. I think it was a very successful defensive outage. But they don't define success that way. They define it in a much different way, not in terms of wins and losses. And so that brings the question, how should we define success in our life? What is the true meaning of success? You know, there's a story, there's this, or some people... Some people define success by how much money that they have, how many possessions. The man in the story that we, uh, the parable that Jesus uh, talked about, defined his and his money and the riches, the possessions that he has. And some people today, right, they spend all of their time getting the most money they can, the most possessions they can, because they believe if they could just get a little bit more, they'll be successful. And they'll have that feeling of success in their life. There's a story about a wealthy Christian. And he was obsessed with the idea of taking some of his wealth into heaven. He really wanted to just take a little bit into heaven with him. And, of course, he knew the Bible clearly taught him that you cannot take worldly possessions into heaven. He couldn't settle the issue, so he started praying that God would give him permission to take some of his wealth with him. Okay, finally, God says, okay, you can take one suitcase with you. This is a joke, okay, and it's not, it's a joke. You can take one suitcase with you into heaven. And so, the man thinks about it for a long time. What do I want to take? What is the most valuable thing that I have that I can take with me to show just how successful I am? He finally decided he's going to fill his suitcase with gold. When he died, he slowly approached the pearly gates. He was dragging his suitcase. Of course, St. Peter meets him there and says, Wait a minute, you can't take anything here into heaven with you. But he said, But you don't understand. I have special permission from God to take this with me. And Peter thought about it for a second. He said, this is very unusual. I can't imagine God letting you do that. So let me just look in your suitcase, see what, see what you got. And so the man dragged the suitcase over. Peter opened it. He saw the gold bars, the bricks. And Peter said, well, okay, I guess. If God said so, I guess you can take it in. But I don't know why in the world you want more. he wants to bring more pavement into heaven. It is just pavement, right? Funny, I Maybe not very funny. But it does teach us a lesson, right? The things that we hold so valuable, the things that are so important to us, we walk on it. We pave the streets. God paves the streets with it. The things of the world, of our life, don't really matter. It's the eternal things that we invest in that matter. So it's not our money. We can't define our success with how much money we have or what possessions we have. Ah, maybe it's... Power, 
Right? Maybe it's how much power we have. Right? Uh, I am the boss. I get to tell you what to do. Right? Or I'm the, the president or the king. Maybe it's power that is the measure of success. But no, that's not it either. Uh, maybe it's being famous. So I'm world-renowned. Everybody in the world's going to know who I am. Maybe that is success. But no, that's not success either. I looked up how some famous people that a lot of people trust would define success. So President Obama, he said, success isn't about how much money you make. It's about the difference that you make in people's lives. Okay. Ariana Huffington, the... The, Mag- uh, the Huffington Post writer says to live the lives we truly want and deserve and not to just settle. That is what true success is. Bill Gates. He says to feel like you have made a difference is what true success is. Inventing something, raising kids, helping people in need. That is what success truly is. Warren Buffett says he measures success by how many people love me. I don't know about that one. Mark Cuban, the owner of basketball team, very wealthy, says, To me, the definition of success is waking up in the morning with a smile on your face. You're successful if you do that. Famous basketball coach John Wooden, he said that, Peace of mind attained only through self-sacrifice and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you are capable. That is what true success in your life is. The writer, Maya Angelou, said that success is liking yourself. Liking what you do. Liking how you do it. That's what real success in life is. Uh, Some of you know this man, Winston Churchill, very famous leader of England, says success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Hmm. Success. Here's a poem for you about Ralph Waldo Emerson. Here's how he defines success. He says, to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appropriation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false, false friends, to appreciate beauty to find the best in others, to give of oneself, to leave the world a better place, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to have played and laughed with enthusiasm and sung with, with exaltation, to know everyone, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. That is to have succeeded. So I thought about all of these definitions and they all just seem to fall short of what true success in life is. And of course, where do we go to find the real answer? We go to Scripture. And as I was looking at Scripture, this may be shocking to you. Scripture that I'm going to tell you. But it's Acts chapter 13 verse 36. It says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died. He was buried. And his body decayed. 
True success, I would define for you as serving God's purpose in your life. It's not about any worldly accolades, but it is in, what, in doing what God has called you to do. Success is not in comparing yourself to other people. Success is not a competition. Some people think it is, but success is not a competition. Success is what you have done compared to what God has created you to do. Hmm. So then success and failure is determined by whether you fall short of what the manufacturer, what God has designed you to do. I mean, just think about products. You buy something at the store, it's supposed to work a certain way, and if it doesn't work that way, it's a failure, right? God has made you. He's made you a certain way with a certain purpose. And it's only when we fulfill our God-given purpose that we become a success. There's a story, as I was preparing, I read about this, this young boy, and he had just taken a test. He was so excited, he got the highest grade in the class. He'd come rushing home to tell his mom about this awesome grade. He rushes in and shows his mom the test and said, Look, I was the best in the class. And the mom was a, looked at the test and she wasn't happy. Because he made a 75 on the test. But he was the best in the class, though. But... Mother said, yeah, you were the best in the class, but you have an A in you. Are you living up to your capability? Are you living up to what God has put inside of you? That's success. It's not looking around at other people and comparing yourself to them, comparing what God has given you to do to what God has given someone else to do. I want you to know that God created you to do something. He created you for a purpose. If you're not doing it, or you're not doing it at the level that God expects you to do it, you're not a success. Success is the fulfillment of the purpose for which God created you for. So as I was thinking about this definition of success, there's a few things that jumped out at me. Number one, God did create you for a purpose. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God formed you. God created you. And he knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. Now he's talking about Jeremiah. He appointed you as a prophet. He's done the same to you. God created you. God knew you. He formed you. And he's appointed you for a purpose. Isaiah chapter 49. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother. He named my name. Again in Isaiah chapter 49 verse 5. He who formed me from the womb. To be his servant. He formed me for a reason. Psalms chapter 139. For you are formed. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created for a purpose. You are not a mistake. 
Even Paul talks about that God foreknew him. Okay, before he was born, he knew who he was. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you were a mistake. I hear that a lot. Uh, that was a mistake, baby. Was, listen, if anybody was a mistake, baby, it was going to be me, right? I mean, my mom was in high school. My dad was in high school. If there's anybody that would be called a mistake, it would be me. But that's not true. Even though you're born in sin, even though uh, the circumstances around your birth may not be uh, exactly how it is supposed to be, God still knew you. And he still formed you. And he still has a purpose for you in your life. God doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, people make mistakes. But God works even through those mistakes. He created you for a reason. There's something that God needs you to do. Just think about that. God needs you for something. He created you to do something. He loves you just how you are. So then I thought, you know, if success is fulfilling our purpose in life, and we're all created for a purpose, then what is our purpose? What is the purpose that God has for us? And I have three things for you. Listen, there are some purposes that we all share. God created all of us for a specific reason, but God also has a communal a reason that we are all created. So the first thing, God created us to praise and to worship Him, to bring glory and honor to Him. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. And to his wonderful light. Psalms chapter 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We were made to honor him. We were made to give praises to him. We were made to worship him in everything that we do. How do we praise and how do we worship God? Well, obviously through our words and through our actions. Right? Through how we speak to Him, right? Through lifting our hands, praising Him, worshiping, engaging in worship service, right? Praise God that way. We praise God by our giving. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about giving. God's called us to give. And when you give your tithes, but your offerings, you are honoring Him. We are praising Him with our fruits that He's given to us. And listen, just the way that you live every single day is praise and worship to Him. Are you bringing honor to Him by the way you speak, by the way you walk, by the things that you do? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 tells us, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, doesn't matter. You do it to the glory of God. The things that we do bring glory and honor to Him. So we're made to praise and worship, number one. Number two, we are made with a purpose to obey Him. Mm, This is an interesting one. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. What is your purpose? What do you do? You fear God and you do what He says. You keep His commandments. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He showed us what is good, what to do. And what does the Lord require of you? To do it. Right? To act justly. To do what He's told you to do. I preached uh, in youth a few weeks ago and I asked them the question how does God know that you love him anybody remember the answer do you remember the answer Millie you remember the answer no the answer was you obey him right Bible says if you love me what are you gonna do you're gonna keep my commandments you're going to obey my command. We were created to obey God. Does your life reflect that? Oh, we talked a few weeks ago about uh, the little things that we let in our lives. Are those little things that you're letting in your life? Are you being obedient to God or are you letting those things in? We were created to obey. You don't have to sin every day. There's this common misconception, you know. Uh, I, I sin every day. I'm I sin a little bit every day. That's not true. God didn't create you to sin every day. God created you to be obedient. Now, yeah, we're human. We have a human nature. Sometimes we're going to make a mistake. But don't believe the lie that you have to sin every day. That's not true. That's not how God created you. You're created to obey Him. And thirdly, you're created to do the works that God has prepared for you. See, when God formed us, He had a plan for us. He had a reason why He was creating us. He has something He wants you to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. And why did He create us? It says, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God created you for work that he had already prepared for you. Our purpose is in God. John chapter 17 verse 4, this is Jesus speaking at the end of his life, right before he is arrested. He says, I have, he's, he's praying to God, and he tells God, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. God has given us all a purpose. I want you to know that the purpose that God has for you is far beyond yourself. Just as a seed has a purpose, you know, if you have an apple seed, it has a purpose, right? Everything in that it needs to become an apple tree is in that Seed, right? The DNA. Everything that it needs to become a beautiful fruit-bearing tree is inside of it. Just like us. God has given us everything inside of us 
to fulfill the purpose that you have, that he has for you. But you know, that tree doesn't just become a tree and serve only itself, you know. It becomes food. It becomes shelter for animals. It becomes shade. Right? The plan that God has for us is not self-serving. It is serving Him and serving others and sharing the love that God has with others. You can go ahead and come back up here. I'll try to get you out by noon this morning. But listen... Your purpose is different than everybody else's purpose. My purpose, different than yours. Your responsibility is to find the purpose that God has for you. What are the works that he has prepared even before you were born for you to do? It's your responsibility to find that out. How do we do that? We do that through prayer. Right? Through seeking him, through his word. Right? Through faithful, godly mentors. And I want you to understand that Yours and my purposes are different. And just because yours is one thing and mine something else doesn't mean that I'm better than you or you're better than me. God has a specific purpose for you. Listen, there was an elderly preacher. And he was rebuked by one of his deacons. We don't, I hope we don't have any of those deacons here. No, the deacons we have here. The deacons we have here are awesome. I'll tell you that. But he was rebuked by one of his deacons on a Sunday morning before service. Pastor, said the man, something must be wrong with your preaching. There's been only one person added to the church in a whole year. And he's just a little boy. Well, the minister listened to him. His eyes began to water. He began to tremble. He said, I feel it all. But God knows I've tried to do my duty. On that day, the minister's heart was heavy. He stood before his flock. He finished his message, and he almost decided to resign that morning. But he didn't. After everyone else had left, that one little boy came up to him and asked, Do you think if I worked hard for an education, I could become a preacher, maybe even a missionary? Again, tears welled up in the minister's eyes. He said, ah, this heals the ache that I feel. And he saw the divine hand and he said to the boy, well, may God bless you, my boy. And yes, I think you will become a preacher. True story. Many years later, there was an old missionary who returned. The story takes place in London. Returned to London from Africa. His name was spoken with reverence. Nobles invited him into their homes. He had added many souls to the church of Jesus Christ. He'd reached some of Africa's most savage people groups. His name was Robert Moffat. Anybody ever heard of him? He was a famous preacher, famous missionary, and he is the same little boy who had spoken to that pastor on that Sunday morning in a church in London. Your purpose is different than everyone else's, but your purpose is not insignificant. 
God created you for a reason. And your reason is just as important as my reason. Stand with me this morning. Listen to me, at the end of your life, you're going to take your last breath. And then you're going to stand in front of God. Everyone is. At that time, you're going to know whether you had a successful life or not. He's going to say one of two things to you. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, you have lived a successful life. Because the most important part of success in our life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't have true success without it. You're going to be empty. All the worldly successes, they're going to come and go. You'll feel good for 15 seconds. But on that 16th second, you're still going to be empty. You're still not going to have true success. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Ultimate success in our life is found only in Jesus. Only in a relationship with him. If you don't have that, no matter how rich you are, how powerful, doesn't matter. You've never experienced true success. Yeah, maybe you've had a little worldly form of it. But true success, you have not experienced. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the message today that you have for us. I thank you that you came and you died on a cross so that we could have that relationship with you and we can experience true success in our lives. Right now as we get into altar time, there's a couple things that I want. First is do you have the relationship? That's the most important thing. Without the relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't have a successful life. And so the first altar call this morning is, if you don't have that relationship, I want to pray with you. I want you to come down right now to the altars. We'll talk about it. We'll pray. And you can have that relationship with him. That's number one. Number two, your purpose in life is to obey, is to do what God has told us through His Scripture, through His Word to do. And maybe you have a relationship, you've asked God into your life, but you're not really being successful because you're not being obedient. You need to repent. So repentance is... Uh, acknowledging the sin that you have and then turning completely away from it and going the other way. The second part of the altar call I'd like is to invite you if that's you. You've asked God into your heart, but you're not being obedient. You're not doing what God has called you to do in obedience. I want to pray with you this morning. And then finally, and this is for everybody, listen, God has a purpose for you. 
I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how bad you think you are. God has a purpose for you. And we need to seek him to find out what that purpose is. And so I'd like to invite the rest of you down just to spend a few minutes in prayer so that God can speak to you. What is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do for you today, this week? What is my purpose in life? So I'd like to invite you all just to find a place and spend a few minutes in prayer this morning.